0: Hello and welcome to the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. My name is Aidan Muir and I'm here with my co-host Leah Heigl and this is episode 94 where we are going to be talking about Omega-3. And honestly this is probably the podcast I've spent the most time prepping for. <laughs> it is a big topic and I always feel cautious saying stuff like that because obviously I'm now 10 years into like reading as much as I can about nutrition. I've obviously spent a lot of time researching omega-3s over those years and I have spent as much time as I can learning about the topic and forming my own opinions and interpreting the research but to do a podcast on it I wanted to go quite deep because it is a big topic and the the research on the topic can be difficult to interpret in terms of situations where supplementing omega-3s would be beneficial um, how much should we be consuming through food and everything like that situations where it might not be beneficial differences between the different forms of omega-3s there's like so much to cover so we will also be splitting this up into two parts where this first part we're more going to be looking at the research on omega-3s particularly supplementation on individual situations and then in the second part we're going to be covering some common themes that come up in the research about things like dosages types of omega-3s all of those little details starting off i'm going to give the briefest introduction about omega-3 stuff and then we'll go into those individual situations so as a brief introduction omega-3 is an essential fatty acid which means we don't create it in our body that's important because it obviously tells us that omega-3 is important we have to get it through food so as a baseline consuming at least a minimal amount of omega-3 is super important the bigger question is just how much do we need to have to optimize it what are the downsides of having too little all of those things there are also three main forms of omega-3 as well there is alpha linoleic acid so that's called ala dha which is docosahexa decosahexanoic acid.
1: These two always trip me up when I have yeah. to say the whole thing.
0: And EPA, which is eicosapentaenoic acid. So ALA, DHA, and EPA. ALA is mostly found in plants and DHA and EPA are mostly found in animal products, mainly fish. We're going to talk more about those details and everything like that probably in the second part, um, but we'll cover that more in detail.
1: So I think a good place to start when we're talking about omega-3 would be cardiovascular disease and heart health. So we were looking at Wikipedia and I think their summary was kind of interesting in that it just summarizes that there is no high quality evidence that fish oil reduces the risk of strokes heart attacks or any vascular disease outcomes Um, without context and kind of just having a very brief overview I mean that's like not a bad summary by Wikipedia to be honest Um, but once you start digging into the details um, of this research and coming at it from different perspectives it shows a little bit of a different outcome so it's, it's a little more nuanced than that So firstly, we do have pretty strong evidence that fish oil lowers triglyceride levels. And we know there is a link between lower triglyceride levels or having that within a normal healthy range and positive heart health outcomes. So in studies looking at the treatment of very high triglycerides with uh, 4 grams per day of EPA and DHA, so that is quite a lot, um, triglycerides were reduced by over 30% that's pretty massive and that could potentially have quite significant impacts on overall heart health and cardiovascular disease risk. We think an an interesting gap that has been identified in the kind of heart health space is that often statins are used when we're talking about high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, etc. But statins do not necessarily lower triglyceride levels as much as they do, say, LDL cholesterol. So some people propose that by adding omega-3 supplementation alongside utilizing the medication group statins would be even more beneficial to the outcomes of these patients. And there is some research backing that idea as well.
0: So clarifying one thing about how high that dose of four grams per day is, um, one gram of fish oil typically has about 300 milligrams of combined EPA and DHA. So <laughs> four, four yeah, grams. Yeah. We're looking at over 10 capsules of fish oil.
1: Yeah, which, it's not just four grams of fish oil. It's four grams of EPA and DHA. Yeah, yeah.
0: exactly. And I'm going to talk about some of the studies that have looked at... This kind of stuff and the dosages that have been used and how they got there and everything like that. The first one we're going to talk about is called the REDUCE-IT trial, which involved four grams of straight EPA. So, not even EPA and DHA, just EPA. So, once again, that's a, a really high dosage of that. Um, and it resulted in a 25% reduction in um, basically cardiovascular events over a five year period in those who were also on statins and were at high risk. Obviously, even with large sample sizes, we're more likely to see positive outcomes in situations where people are at risk of um, having cardiovascular events. For example, people who are on statins often already are at higher risk. They would be at higher risk without the statins, but there's a reason they are on the statins, so they're already at higher risk in comparison to the general population. Another great example is the secondary prevention kind of situation. If somebody's already had a cardiovascular event, they are at higher risk than the average person of having a second one. So Fish oil has been consistently been shown to be having benefits in those secondary prevention situations, um, which is why when we look at that Wikipedia analysis of being like, doesn't have clear evidence of helping with CBD risk, when you look at it through the right lens, at the yeah. right angle, you can find situations where it is a, a bit of a higher likelihood. There is another study called the Gissie... Zone? I'm not sure how you say that.
1: I was also wondering yeah. that. i that first.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've heard people talk about it. They just say gissety, right? So yeah, Gissi, yeah. which involved 11,000 people who had myocardial infarction less than three months ago. And they utilized one gram of omega-3 per day. Once again, that's omega-3, not fish oil. Um, and they found a significant reduction in all CVD risks. So this is where we're talking about that secondary prevention. Mm-hmm. There have been multiple meta-analyses that have been done on this topic in general and they all have different findings which really complicates the topic and you can see why people form different opinions. Um, When you go through the meta-analyses you can see reasons why they have different findings. One clear example is that higher dosages are often more effective than lower dosages. So studies that use higher dosages were more likely to find benefits. As we talk about that four grams of EPA, that's a really high dosage. If you only included studies with higher dosages, you're more likely to find positive findings. The other one is that some of the meta-analyses seem to have been skewed by their weighting system. And what I mean by that is some of these studies had really large sample sizes and didn't find benefits. Some of them had large sample sizes, but not as large as the other ones, and did find benefits. Mm-hmm. But based on the weighting, if they're weighting sample size above all else, the studies that didn't find benefit would be weighted heavier, heavier in that scenario, which is something that skewed some of the mayoral analysis. One of them from memory got rid of one of the major studies that just excluded it, and it made Fisher sure look better. Um
1: right okay yeah and
0: like they, ha- they obviously had logical reasons for, for excluding, excluding it yeah um, they're not just like trying to cherry pick or whatever but like that's I think it's relevant to be aware of that being like it's a topic where we're often seeing not much benefit sometimes we are seeing benefit mm-hmm. and if you look at it through right lens you see more benefit than if you don't look at it through other lenses I'm not saying either approach is right or wrong but that's kind of the situation we're dealing with with cardiovascular disease and fish oil
1: yeah I think like I guess an overall summary is like If I have a client that is at higher risk of heart complications, I'm going to recommend Omega-3. So like in terms of an outcome and your recommendations, even though it's the research isn't super clear, I think it is strong enough for me as a dietitian to recommend it.
0: Yeah. Like if we've got some research showing a 25% reduction in a secondary event kind of situation, And other researchers are zero are either at zero or like it's it's a benefit. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And it's it's one of those things
1: that doesn't have necessarily a risk. Yes. So why not? Um, The next aspect we're going to look at omega-3 from is body composition. So the research on omega-3 and body composition is not overly promising. So definitely less promising than when we're looking at the heart health stuff most studies in this found no difference when they were looking at omega-3 supplementation and body composition outcomes. Some studies have found differences, but often it was only in like very specific portions of their overall sample size. Like some studies found only differences in men. Some studies found only differences in women. So there wasn't like a common theme amongst the overall breadth of research that would, be promising in terms of recommendations. Uh, There is a small amount of research indicating that omega-3 supplementation can help minimize muscle loss while immobilized after an injury or surgery. Um, I wouldn't read too much into that just yet, but it's also in terms of recommendations, if someone comes to me and goes, look, I'm injured, I'm an athlete, what can I do when i'm immobilized to kind of maintain my muscle mass it's one of those things that i'll be like look the research isn't super clear on this but again it's like well what's the harm why don't we add this in if it's something that you are concerned about
0: yeah 100 percent um the body composition stuff just in general outside the immobilization stuff like i I really think there has been a nail in the coffin on that one for a while is it not really mattering like yeah in the sports dietitians australia cpd wrap-up i think This month, a new study was released on this topic, relatively small sample size, resistance training, and it showed a pretty significant increase in muscle and strength, right? And even seeing that, I pretty much ignore that study, not because I'm dismissive of it or anything like that, just because it's like we have thousands and thousands and thousands of participants who have been through Mm -hmm. all of these studies, and on average, the findings have been zero change. And then, say, one study comes out with, say, 20 people showing an improvement, what do I trust the new study outlier? It's the outlier. Exactly. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about another topic. So we're going to talk about depression and anxiety. So a systematic review of omega-3 and depression found that supplementing could help specifically, as we also see in a lot of other areas, EPA helped a lot more than DHA. Um, the dosage they found to be beneficial was less than one grams total DHA and EPA, with EPA making up greater than 60% of the dosage. So this is a bit of a lower dosage than what we are seeing with the cardiovascular disease stuff. Um, but once again, there's a lot of thoughts and interpretations we can add to this. This is why I say it's such a deep topic. For example, has there been a lot of research that's been done on higher dosages? Not really. There is some that exists, but there is not a lot with higher dosages. To the best of my knowledge, we haven't seen four grams of straight up EPA being studied so how can we rule that out being better at the moment that research isn't really showing that but it's another area to potentially look at um, researchers who have looked into this have also mentioned that it would be interesting to see more research on specific subgroups for example what if people have higher levels of inflammation we know that fish oil can reduce inflammation will we see better benefits for um, depression and anxiety in those situations if we're measuring that at the baseline And another way we could look at it is like, what if people have low, low omega-3 intake at the start or low omega-3 levels at the start, would they get more benefit than others? Um, That was on depression specifically, but a systematic review of omega-3 and anxiety also found benefits. (laughs) They found the opposite. They found that greater than two grams per day had more benefits than less than two grams per day. So it's really hard to identify the dosages, but that is just a summary of what the research has shown so far
1: moving on to the next topic we're going to look at alzheimer's so i'm not going to spend too much time here because we can summarize this quite quickly Um, but there is pretty solid evidence for omega-3 supplementation um, and helping with mild alzheimer's at the onset of the condition Um, a systematic review on the topic highlighted that there was inconsistent evidence in more advanced cases though so It seems to be more beneficial at the onset of the condition, more so when it's it's more advanced. Um, Although I don't necessarily think it would be a bad thing to, as a recommendation, kind of across the board with this condition, or even if it's something that, you know, runs in your family and you are concerned about it, taking like a higher dose omega-3 supplement could be, you know, beneficial to perhaps preventing that condition from, from coming to be.
0: Talking about joint health now, there is a bit of a tier list, I would say, with joint health. So all causes of joint pain, there's always a cause. Going through this tier list, I'm going to start off with rheumatoid arthritis, which is where omega-3 really shines the most. Like we have really clear research that omega-3 helps with rheumatoid arthritis. How much does it help? Like it's not a game changer. Like it's not going to like... (laughs) I, am always skeptical saying this, that it shines here because it's like, what if somebody with rheumatoid arthritis listens to this and like, I'm going to take this, <laughs> I still have pain. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, it's not magical. Right. But it consistently helps. If you get a group of a thousand people with rheumatoid arthritis, Omega three is going to help a large percentage of them. Mm-hmm. And it's going to help enough that you can measure the change. that doesn't mean it's solving everything, but it, mm-hmm. it helps consistently. Um, The next tier will be osteoarthritis. So a different form of arthritis, a little bit more common form of arthritis. Omega-3 seems to help a little bit with pain. It seems to help a little bit with like morning stiffness and stuff like that. Once again, it's not, not once again, this one's a little bit less clear, like it's not a game changer, but once again, if I did have osteoarthritis, I 100% would be taking it because the Mm -hmm. research seems to support that. Um, the next tier, I'm going to call tendons, ligaments, other random joint pains. Um, starting with tendons specifically, there is actually not much research on omega-3s and tendons. This is an area that if you've listened for a while, you know, I'm pretty interested in tendons, particularly tendinopathy.
1: You love the soft tissue stuff. <laughs> yeah. And to best of
0: know this is not like, there's not a, a, legit, a legitimate study on tendinopathy and omega-3 yet. Um, so it's speculative based on animal research which is pretty positive but i mostly ignore animal research when it comes to stuff like this for a variety of reasons even if it's as simple as the differences in metabolism but also the differences in rehab like humans can do dumb stuff in rehab whereas animals are less likely to there's a lot of variables that go on um but there's not much research on omega-3s and tendons but one study found that those of rotator cuff tears had way lower levels of omega-3 on a blood test than those about any rotator cuff issues. That's interesting. I wouldn't read too much into it, but it's something that's worth paying attention to. Um, Another study, once again on rotator cuff rehab, found that supplementing 1.5 grams of EPA and 1 gram of DHA per day was linked with slightly improved outcomes. Another thing I wouldn't read into too much, but if we're looking at the small amount of research, it looks positive. If we had a group with like a thousand people with knee pain and we supplemented omega-3, I would focus more on those outcomes than these outcomes. But because we don't have something like that, I'll focus on these outcomes a little bit. And then if I was just interpreting the research, I would say that omega-3 helps with joint stuff a little bit, definitely with rheumatoid arthritis, probably with osteoarthritis to a certain degree. And with general stuff, I would say it probably does help a little bit, but it's not magical and it's likely not overly consistent with the overall joint stuff. And as with other areas, I would suggest that people who have lower baseline levels would probably get a little bit more benefit than those with higher baseline levels.
1: I think that's all interesting because I think a lot of people would assume a stronger correlation between joint health and omega yeah, 3. I think
0: it's the most common one that people Yeah. Yeah. see.
1: For sure. And the final topic we're at least going to cover in this episode um, is going to be pregnancy. So a systematic review found that omega-3 supplementation helped reduce the rates of preterm deliveries. That's awesome. Um, So I think from that perspective, it's probably worth taking. Um, But we also know that omega-3 does play quite a large role in the development of a baby's brain. So it's just best to avoid low omega-3 intake whilst you're pregnant. I mean, I work with, I mean, I don't work with a ton of pregnant people. I don't think you do either. Um, but when I do occasionally have someone who is pregnant, usually an athlete who just happened to get pregnant and still working with yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm like, look, it's not, it's not a bad thing to add on, particularly if maybe they're not eating a lot of food sources of omega-3. I'm like, look, let's just add it. Um but more so, also we'll talk about this later. But I work with mostly plant-based people, less likely to get good omega three food sources on a plant-based diet. So it is definitely something I'm adding into a plant-based pregnancy kind of supplement regime.
0: Yeah. So next episode, we're gonna we're gonna cover the plant-based nutrition stuff. We're gonna cover ALA in detail. Why didn't we talk about ALA at all in this topic um, or in this episode? We will also cover little things like blood tests in omega-3 can you test your status should you test your status Um, we'll cover dosages and in what situations you should take it and any other common themes we can think of
1: this has been episode 94 of the ideal nutrition podcast if you haven't yet left a rating or review it would be greatly appreciated if you do Um, but otherwise thanks for tuning in